0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Alex Israel on Parashat Vayishlach. This podcast is sponsored by Tova and Joel Weinberg, in memory of our loving and dear friend Karen Shapira, Zichrona Livracha. A day never goes by without our thinking of her, and we miss her terribly. And now, here is Rabbi Alex Israel.
1: Shalom, this is Alex Israel, and I'm delighted to be with all of our listeners. And this week we have quite the dramatic parsha, as we read of Yaakov returning, Jacob, who is returning from Mesopotamia, from the house of Lavan. And he finds himself uh, facing Esau and his 400 men, expecting them to penyavov hi im al-banim, for them to uh, perpetrate a massacre. And that Jacob and all his family are in peril. And uh, we have the amazing standoff where, where Jacob sends gifts to Esau and it all ends up with a kiss and a hug. Um, as Rabbi Sachs once called it, the greatest anti-climax in history. I <laughs> uh, love that. I want to talk about the way that the Ramban in particular, Nachmanides, sees this particular episode. Uh, because it reflects a really r- remarkable uh, strain in rabbinic thinking and and that is so uh, let me try and explain Nachmanides the Ramban um, employs a technique called masseh avot siman the acts of the forefathers are a sign an imprint for the children and what he means by this sometimes when we learn this masseh avot siman Uh, the acts of the fathers are an imprint for the children we think it means that uh, Abraham uh, practiced hospitality so we should also practice hospitality Um, Abraham um, prayed for Saddam and so should we Um, Jacob ended up blessing all his children Um, we should also be inclusive of all of our children and not reject anyone for the family Uh, things like that however this um, notion is not just seen as an act of emulation by the Ramban. It is seen um, as a notion of his, of, of sort of an, a cyclical history, that the events of the past uh, have an impact on the future. And I'd like to trace this through the Parasha and show you what he's talking about. Let me begin right from the start, where he says, I'm reading from the opening Ramban, Nachmanizi's commentary is a masterful commentary on the Torah. And he says, This Parsha is written to tell us that everything which befell our father Yaakov with his brother Esav will occur to us repeatedly in our relations with the children of Asav. Kol asher ira avinu im Asav achir vi eralanu tamid im Asav. And therefore we should teach ourselves to be prepared to act according to the three-pronged strategy that Yaakov adopted, prayer, diplomacy, and saving ourselves from war by fleeing and escaping. Now this is quite a remarkable idea. And I think I have to first uh, express something which needs to be said. The Ramban is essentially saying that the story of Jacob and Esau, the two brothers who are locked in some sort of uh, competition, competition for supremacy, with the threat and the looming threat of bloodshed hovering always over Jacob's head, is not seen as limited to the particular story of Jacob and Esau. It is in fact seen as reverberating through history where the people of Israel later, let's remember the Esau is called Edom. The people of Israel had a very, very bloody uh, history with the kingdom of Edom, a kingdom which is in, in the Transjordan, um, in the Arava area. However, later the rabbis didn't just see Edom as being a kingdom in the Middle East but rather adopted a personification that Rome was Edom. Rome, the kingdom of Rome, who destroyed the temple, who uh, overwhelmed our, our land, who enacted terrible persecutions, including the famous story of uh, the murder of Rabbi Akiva and many, many other scholars uh, in the Hadrianic persecutions which followed the Bar Kokhba revolt. Um, This was somehow seen as Edom. In other words, Israel and Esau recur throughout history. And later on, when the Roman um, Empire adopted Christianity as their official religion, suddenly Christianity became Edom. So we have Esau, the kingdom of Edom, Rome, and then Judaism and Christianity. This is not something which remains in the past. And therefore, for example, the Ramban is capable of making the following statement. He says, um, because we all know that Jacob comes back from the house of Lavan, and it is he who makes the approach to his brother Esav. He says, Um, I've been living with Lavan, go tell uh, uh, Esav. That I seek his I seek his favour. And here let's read the Ramban. He quotes the Midrash which says, Machzik Baosne Kelev. This is like somebody who grabs a dog by the ears. God said to Yaakov, "Esav was busy, busy with his own business business. Why did you bother dispatching a delegation to him? Um Hu Kodashbarakul Darakohayama Malech. Jacob, if you didn't want to have an altercation with Esau, why did you alert him that you were around? And he says, and Ramban now continues and moves into his historical understanding, He says, In my opinion, this detail alludes to the fact that we were the cause of our own downfall in the hands of Rome. For during the Second Temple Period, the Hasmonean kings made a treaty with Rome and some of the representatives even went to Rome and this was the first step of our falling into their hands. Um, What the Ramban is referring to is that there was a struggle between two of the Hasmonean kings Aristobulus and Hyrcanus and they actually invited in the year 67 BCE they invited Pompey to Jerusalem and that began the Roman involvement and control over Jerusalem so here we see him saying wait why Jacob are you inviting Esau to come and confront you why did the Jews um, invite the Romans in however it doesn't stop here the Ramban continues as he goes through the uh, story. His next comment, his, his next historical comment, or maybe we should say pan-historical comment, um, comes on the scene where Jacob is fearful of Esav, And he says, If Esau comes to the first camp and destroys it and, and, and kills them, then the other camp will go away. Jacob had divided his camp into two, uh, sort of splitting his assets. And the Ramban says, the Gamze Yermoz, always the word is Yermoz, the idea that you have Pshat, Drush, and Remez. This is Remez, a notion of hinting, illusion. And he says, and this too is an illusion. Asav may, he means again Rome, Christianity, may make plans and decrees which aim at destroying our name completely. But. He will succeed only in harming a segment of our people in certain lands. A ruler in one land will make laws and edicts against the Jewish property and Jewish lies. And then a ruler in another land will have compassion in his country and will save the remnant. See Wow. So in other words, he talks about the fact that though we are persecuted, we are expelled we suffer inquisition in one place jews uh, escape the spanish inquisition and find a home in turkey or in sfat or in uh, wherever it might be jews ex- escape one land and they they the jews escape the holocaust and they find able to build a center in israel or in the united states and this is quite something where he makes these uh, this he sees the idea of jacob splitting his camp and as long even if one segment of the jewish people Uh, suffers a death and destruction there will always be a continuation somewhere else it's very resonant i'll deal with the last scene which he relates to and that's of course the scene fighting with the angel where we we where we find jacob struggling with this angelic figure which is seen in in the midrash as the personification of esau and then um of, of course is limping is limping away, um, and once again the Ramban says the following. He says the whole episode represent kol ha kiyama orah kulo remez le dorotav. The entire episode relates to future events. Sheiye de dor bezarosh le akovi alehem adchiyekarov bitzatan that there will become a time when the descendants of Esau would overcome Jacob to the brink of absolute annihilation. And this happened during the days of the Mishnah, the generation of Yudah and Baba and his colleagues. At that time, Rabbi bar Abba pronounced and said, If a man will say to me, give me your life for the name of God, I will give it, but only on condition that he will put me to death immediately. Because in a time of torture and forced conversion, I wouldn't be able to stand it. What did they do in the times of such inquisitions? They'd bring white-hot iron balls and place them under the armpits and drive their souls from them. And the Ramban continues and says, There were other generations when they, he doesn't explain who they is, the personification of Esau, did such things, and worse than this. But, we endured it all, and it passed us by, as intimated by the text, Vayavah Yaakov Shalem. And Jacob came to Shalem, chapter 33, verse 18. But of course, Shalem means whole or perfect. In other words, Yaakov emerged intact. Now, what are we going to say about this whole philosophy? You see what the Ramban has done. The Ramban is seeing historical echoes. Uh, almost a sense of cyclical history. And this view is, is quite fascinating. Um, professor Chaim Yosef Yerushalmi, who was a professor, if not mistaken, in Columbia University, has an amazing book called Zachor, uh, which is about history and memory. Right? The history talks about the past, but memory is the way we sort of experience it in the present. And he, maybe I'll just read a passage from him, he says, On the whole, medieval Jewish chronicles tend to assimilate events to old and established conceptual frameworks. Persecution and suffering are, after all, the result of the condition of being in exile. And exile itself is the bitter fruit of ancient sins. It is important to realise that there is no real desire to find novelty in passing events. Quite to the contrary, there is a pronounced tendency to subsume even major new events to familiar archetypes, for even the most terrible events are somehow less terrifying when viewed within old patterns, rather than in their bewildering specificity. Thus, the latest oppressor is Haman, and the court Jew who tries to avoid disaster is Mordechai. Christendom is Edom or Esau, and Islam is Ishmael. Geographical names are blithely lifted from the Bible and affixed to places the Bible never knew. And so Spain is Sepharad and France is Serafat. I'll just add that these are both names mentioned in the Tanakh, referring to places in Lebanon, but they were applied to Spain and France. Germany is Ashkenaz. The essential contours of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles have been delineated long ago in Rabbinic Agadah, and there is little or no interest in the history of contemporary Gentile nations." End of quote from page 36 of the book Zahar. Um, this is quite remarkable. And Rabbi Sachs in, in a fabulous article called Midrash and History, in a book called Crisis and Covenant, maybe says it even, even further. He says, um, he talks about the idea of um, Torah from heaven, And it said it did more than negate the idea that a people was the author of its own text. It reversed it. It suggested that the text was the author of the people. (laughs) In other words, the text is not commenting on the state of the nation. The text, if it is the Torah, if it is teaching, right, is in fact the author of the people. Um, So it's more than the Torah being sacred scripture. It's that the covenant that it embodied... um, and brought the people into being would keep them in being um, despite their exile. So this is quite quite remarkable and again let me maybe quote from Rabbi Sachs, um, where Sachs, the way he talks about history here. he says, um, "All time becomes a simultaneous presence. There is no concept of anachronism. There is no before and after. In the rabbinic readings of the Torah the patriarchs, the patriarchs inhabit the world of the sages. Jacob contemplates the Roman conquest. Moses hears a legal exposition by Rabbi Akiva and learns that it is a law given to Moses at Sinai. Um, in Halakha, the same atemporality applies. A single legal argument extends from a first century Mishnaic teacher to a Talmudic interpreter to a medieval commentator to an 18th century codifier with no sense of innovation or discontinuity. And he quotes the words of Rabbi Soloveitchik in the book Halachic Man, and I quote, There is a past that persists in its existence, that does not vanish and disappear, but remains firm in its place. The Jewish peoples all embracing in collective consciousness of time, the sages of tradition, the Second Temple era, the age of classical pros- prophecy, the exodus from Egypt... The lives of the patriarch, the creation itself, is an integral part of the I-awareness of halachic man. All of them merge into one-time experience. This, what Rabbi Sachs, what Rabbi Soloveitchik are referring to, is indeed this perspective of midrash, the searching out, the meaning implicit in words. And it is this almost um, idea that the biblical text contains Infinite intentionality. Um, many have related to this. We just read in Dafiyomi in Rosh Hashanah, just the other day about the, the days of the week. Um, and uh, the Shish Elyom, the psalm, said on every single one of the days, and when we talk about the psalm for Shabbat, Mizmor Shish Elyom HaShabbat, um, the Talmud brings an opinion which says that we're not just talking about Shabbat, We're talking about Yom Shekulo Shabbat, that the Shabbat of creation somehow manifests itself in the messianic era. And in this regard, there's almost like a Kabbalistic view that each of the six or each of the seven days of creation um, are almost like, how should I say it? They're seeds, they're almost like the DNA of future time, so that each of the seven days of creation represents a millennium. And therefore, the first day is somehow connected to the first thousand years of the world. And the second day to the second thousand years. And, 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 and in this regard, if Shabbat is the seventh day, then the Messiah will come by the year 6000 because the seventh millennium is the Yom Shekula Shabbat. It's almost like history, the, the, the beginning of history creates archetypes. And in this regard, the Avot, the Avot are archetypes. They are the seeds of history. And just like the DNA of a parent is passed down to their child, and their child won't be quite the parent, they're not going to live out their life in exactly the same way, but there might be some similarities between the way that the child looks or some of the features or the behaviour of a child. And again, we can argue whether it's nature or whether it's nurture. In the same way, somehow the Avot, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, give us not only our physical DNA as Jews, they give us almost like a a mapping, a mapping of the of the future, and this is really a remarkable. In the Rambans reading, it's almost a deterministic history. He says, um, "Omer lechaklal." This is a comment in Brachit, uh, chapter twelve, verse six, and it's on the source sheet that should be attached to this podcast. Omer lechaklal tavinot parshiot I'll give you a rule, he said. Apply it to all the parshiot of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And it's a very, very major principle. He says, The Rabbi said it in a shorthand. Everything that happened to the forefathers is assigned to the children. And the Raman continues and says, The Torah tells stories at length about journeying or digging wells and the like. You might think that these, there are, these are meaningless details, but in reality, they all tell us something about the future. Because when an event occurs to one of the prophets who have forefathers, um, uh, He will know that it will be decreed to his descendants in some form. The event will take place no matter what. And that's quite quite an amazing uh, view, uh, which appears here. And uh, I, I'm just going to put it out there <laughs> and let us think about this, because uh, really this is quite a, a fascinating way of looking at history. It's quite a fascinating way of looking at the present. Some people might find it reassuring. We're sort of in the cradle, we're sort of like replaying our history and it's going to be all right. We're somehow connected to our past. Other people might look at it as disturbing and anachronistic. After all, do we really think we're caught in the sort of psychology of the past? Wouldn't we want to, especially after having experienced exile for 2,000 years, want to somehow emancipate ourselves from all of that, (laughs) leave the proverbial Egypt and find our way to the promised land and sort of release ourselves? I think in, in psychology we try and Um, contemporary psychology we try and sort of emerge beyond the traumas of the past uh, beyond the patterns of the past and we like to see ourselves as free and yet in the incredible drama of our parsha of this standoff and this this sort of like fear and and then very happy uh, big bear hug that Esau and Jacob were involved with after all the trepidation and all the anticipation and all the fear um Maybe we can hope that indeed, if Masa Avot Siman lebanim, that indeed uh, with all of our enemies, maybe we, we will indeed reach this point of uh, reconciliation, that indeed we should uh, be in a situation where the way things did end with Yaakov and Esav is the way that history should be moving uh, towards a kiss and a hug <laughs> and a sense of uh, them turning around to each other and saying, Yesh kol, we have everything, why don't we Nisav and el why don't we all travel together and uh, that uh, if that indeed is the ending of the story maybe uh, even a very very difficult history such as the jewish history will end up well and i think that's exactly part of the faith in the messianic age which comes out of the paradigm of this story uh, looking in this sort of paradigmatic way uh, at cyclical history so thank you for learning with me ma'aseh avot siman banim The actions of the forefathers are a sign for the children, and particularly the teachings of the Ramban. Uh, It's been wonderful to learn with you. I look forward to next time. Thank you. Shabbat
0: shalom. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. Please visit us on Spotify or by visiting elmod.pardes.org for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Be sure to tune in next week as Rabbanit Nechama Goldman Beresh discusses Parashat Vayeshev. Thanks for listening.